All right, so this is week four on our But Now series. It's chapters one and chapters two of Ephesians. Uh, so I'm going to kind of give a little plug for next week. We're going to continue with Ephesians. And so this, this series has really been about leading up to what Jesus has done for us, the riches we have in him, the unity that that brings, and it breaks down walls. Uh, and so then the book kind of shifts to become very practical. And really, so because of that, here's what life looks like. So we've been talking in chapters one and chapter two of you becoming a new creation, brand new. But some of you sit around and say, yeah, but. But I'm new, but I still got some stuff in me that I got to deal with. So the rest of the letter really kind of talks about those things. In light of chapter 1 and 2, let's now put to death the sin that lives in us. So that's, the, that's where we're going to shift uh, the title of the next series is Put to Death. And that's really going to look at Ephesians uh, 3, 4. We're not going to do much with 5 because that's marriage. And we'll kind of put that into a separate series. And then chapter 6. So that's next week. Now... That's next week, so let's talk about this week now. To get us going this week, I want to, how many of you have seen the movie Wonder? I see a show of hands. Good, a number of you have. I figured out. So I want to, for those of you who haven't, let me bring you up. I'm going to show you a clip from it, kind of bring up speed. Uh, good movie. I'm not going to lie. When I went to see this movie back in November when it came out, I sat there in the theater with tears streaming down my face. It's an emotional movie. It's a powerful movie. It's a movie that really captures and addresses bullying is really what it's going after. It follows the life of a family of a, of a young man named August Pullman. He's known as Augie in the story. It's how he's referred to. He has, he has a lot of facial deformities or facial differences from a syndrome from a disease called Treacher-Collins syndrome. Uh, so he looks very different, and it's uh, somewhat scary to children. He's homeschooled because of this reality. He's homeschooled. He lives in New York City, homeschooled up until fifth grade. At fifth grade, his his parents and himself decide to step him into a mainstream uh, school. So he enters school. Well, as he enters school, as you can imagine, he's made fun of. He's, you know, all, all the stuff that, that a kid, uh, the kids deal with, period, let alone a child who's dealing, who just looks different. Finally, finally, as the movie moves on, he befriends, kind of, he makes a friend. He finally's got one friend, and his friend's name is Jack Wills. Uh, so the scene you're going to see is Augie walking in to Jack Wills, walking into a conversation that Jack doesn't know he's there and overhears Jack say some things about him that crush him. So go ahead and watch this scene. I don't care what Jack Will says about Christmas. For me, Halloween is the best holiday in the world. It's so awesome. When I'm wearing a costume, I usually walk with my head down to avoid being seen. But on Halloween, I walk with my head up high. He did the match. It got on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. I don't even know who that was. He didn't even know who I was. It's so cool, especially because people don't like to touch me. Because they think I'm contagious. Oh yeah, Chewie, up high. Boom goes the dynamite. They did the match. They did the monster. <laughs> it really does look like him. That's about right. Yeah. He's always reminded me of like a shrunken head, you know? Oh, or an orc. Yeah. If I looked like him, I'd swear. I'd put a hood over my face. Yeah. If I look like him, I think I'd kill myself. Why do you hang out with him so much, Jack? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Tushman asked me to be his welcome buddy, and now he just follows me around everywhere. Well, that was stink. That was stink. 
Now, as you watch that scene, uh, that's Augie's story. It's a fictional story. How about your story? What I have learned about my life, about our life, about most of us in this room, is that most of us can relate to that scene at some level. We may not have been the kid that didn't fit into the cool kid's table at lunch at school. We may have been the cool kid, but I've found often the cool kids that make fun make fun because they themselves are insecure and are lacking something themselves. Maybe they don't feel welcomed and in with their family. But at some level, I think most of us experience and know this, we kind of form groups, and we have the in-group and we have the out-group, and one of the biggest things we work so hard in our lives is to make sure that we're in the in-group. And we hate feeling like an alien, a foreigner, or feeling like we're sitting in that situation where we really don't belong. It can happen in places of worship like this in a church where the skeptic and the questioner is kept at bay because they don't quite believe right. It can happen at work because you don't have a degree or the experience that you feel others have and you kind of hold yourself back because you feel like you're on the outside looking in. It can happen at your family. It can happen at school. Uh, It can happen as you scroll through social media and begin to feel like, man, everyone else is making it but but me. It can happen as you're single and you want to be married. It can happen when you're married because you want to be single. Uh, It can happen in all kinds of levels, but oftentimes we find ourselves on the outside looking in and we find these groups that form, cliques. We want to be on the in group. Now, cliques form and groups form uh, because uh, here's kind of how they work. And you look at the friends that are putting Augie out. They say, well, Augie looks different. So they're kind of setting the message that if you're going to be in our group, we're going to construct a rule. The rule is you can't look weird. You got to dress like us, think like us. Maybe some of you, you have been in situations where, you know, you got to vote like us. You have to listen to our kind of music. You have to like our football team. You have to like, and we begin to live life building and structuring. We, we, we build walls and we, because those walls separate. Those walls define. Those walls say, this defines where you belong and where you don't. It's kind of how life works. Now, walls aren't all bad. You know, if those of you who run a business, for example, you have to determine how you're going to operate. And so to do that, you've got to establish some boundaries. The good, healthy relationships, you have to establish boundaries. But the reality is many of us use these boundaries and these lines to keep people out and identify that we're in. If you turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to talk about this reality and talk about the, the walls and, and that we can kind of construct in life and how we deconstruct them. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, as we look at it, page 978, and the Bible's there in the seats in front of you. I want to lay some groundwork for you uh, so as we dive into this, it can kind of make some sense to you. What we're really talking about here is the separation that's going to form between the Jewish people, uh, who are the, the people that, the people group that we follow in the early parts of our Bible, Genesis on through the rest of the Old Testament, um, is, is the Jewish people. Then you have the non-Jewish people or the Gentiles, and those two groups just do not get along. Uh, the Jewish people, as a nation, group, as a people group, were given, they came out of slavery, they had a guy named Moses, who was kind of their leader, who went up on a mountain, who got a, a ten commandments, these stones, from God, and he comes down, and he gives, them, he gives them these commandments, and he says, okay, this is what I want you to do, I want you to establish the laws, so he comes down and says, you know, don't commit adultery, worship me and me alone, there goes one of the laws want to make sure you don't steal. And he builds these laws and builds this structure. It's called the, it's called the Mosaic Covenant. It's the covenant God makes. Says God looks in and says, listen, if you honor these laws, it will go well with you as a nation. 
So it's very important to know this was a national, nation, um, ethnic, saying this is my people. So the Jewish people, they built and they structured their wall. And then they kind of came in behind their wall and they said, okay, now here we are. We are in. You are out. We are in where we're going to stay safe, where we're going to stay moral, where we're going to stay free of the, of the darkness of the world around. We're in here where we're going to stay safe because we've honored these things. And so it defines and distinguishes um, Kind of how they kind of how they view life. Now, with that said, Ephesians chapter two, verse eleven. Paul the writer says, "Don't forget." He's talking to Gentiles. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, right? He's saying, "Okay, you're in the you were in the outside of the wall. They were insiders. You were outsiders, just like Augie was an outsider. You're in the outside now. You were called uncircumcised heathens. This is what we do with walls, right?" We throw names at those out there. You know, we separate over all kinds of things. You know, you like Samsung, you like Apple, you like the Eagles, I like the Dolphins. I mean, we just kind of, we divide and we split. And then we throw names and we throw barbs. And he says, so they were on the inside, you were on the outside. One of the laws that they built in their wall that God put in this thing is this circumcision. That's one of the things that defined a Jew to be a Jew. So he says, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Now, this is, we're going to come back to this. This is a little twist that Paul throws at this. He kind of throws a jab at the Jewish people who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Verse 12, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. I want you to see what he does here. He, he shifts. So he's going to start by talking the split between the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. And then he kind of throws this jab at the Jews who says they themselves didn't even get what this law was about. And then he's going to shift and now talk broader because he's really kind of throwing a jab and saying even the Jews were separated from me because they didn't do this thing in the right way. They didn't let it touch their heart. So then he's going to shift to now the separation that exists between us and God. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promise God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Verse 13, here's the name of our series. But now, same structure, if you were here last week, or if not, catch it online. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, same structure. This is what you were, and then verse 4, but God. Same exact structure here. This is what you were, but something happened. This is what you were, you were excluded, but now, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into how many people groups? What is it? What's it say? One. He took natural born enemies and brought them into one. This is unity at its finest. So we continue, verse 14. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down, here it is, he broke down the wall of hostility. This wall separated us. Verse 15, he did this by ending the system of law. What did he do with the system of law? What did he do? He ended it. He ended the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself one, here it again, this unity, one new people from the two, 
Together, there's all these unity words throughout this whole section. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups. Reconcile means to be made right, to be brought close, to clean up. Reconcile both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. So how did this thing happen? Is it something they did? No, it's something he did on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was what? How many of you, put to death, how many of you dream of living in a world like that? The hostility of all, the, the, I mean, man, there's so much that divides us. That hostility coming to an end. For maybe, see, I just want that to come to the end in my family. Well, here's the thing. When we are followers of Jesus, hostility and brokenness in relationship just does not make sense. And when it exists, we're missing something about the beauty of who Jesus is. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. So the Jews kind of were in the inside. The Gentiles were in the outside. He came to both of them. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. Again, it's this whole shift in the series. It opens up talking about the Jews and the circumcision. He kind of throws the barb at them and says they really kind of missed it. And then he kind of shifts and talks broader and talks about how how we're all separated. Now, the result of this, look look at verse 19. And so now, so here's the fruit. Here's because this happened, so the structure, you were, but now So this is the result. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members. So look at this. Citizens, members. Look at the next word, verse 20. Together. It's all this. You are now one. You are in this thing together. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. I love this, how he he says, I'm going to destroy the wall. And in place of the wall, what's he erect? Don't miss this imagery. So I'm going to take the wall down, and in place of the wall, let's build a house, a place where we live together, a place where we can come in and be a part of this thing together. So he says, I'm going to build a house. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple to the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. So Jesus tore down the wall, and he comes with a new covenant. Now, let me talk about this in in great, I'm a little more vivid language for you and kind of pull into the history of the Jewish people a little bit and help you see what Jesus did. Um, This is Luke chapter 22, verse 20. This is happening during the Passover meal. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the scriptures, Passover is the Jewish religious holiday. I mean, if you're going to ignore, if you're a Jew and you ignore all holidays, this is one you just do not ignore. This is their, it's kind of like, kind of like Easter is our Christian holiday. So what's happening at Passover is what the Jews are celebrating, is, is especially at this time, they're looking back about 2,000 years to when God freed the Jewish people from slavery. The entire nation was enslaved by another nation, Egypt. And so God steps in and says, listen, if you put your faith in me and take the blood of a spotless lamb and put it over the doorpost, when the death angel comes through, he's going to take the life of the firstborn male in every home, and if you do this, you will live and you will be delivered. So they do it. So this, and they're delivered and they're miraculously freed. So they establish this holiday called Passover to get together and celebrate and remember the covenant.
covenant, the old covenant is what it becomes known as, that God established with his people. So in light of that, Jesus gets together with his Jewish followers. Keep this in mind. And he says this, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new, what? This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. So here he's shifting Passover. He says, you're celebrating the the blood of a lamb that was put on a doorpost. Let's talk about my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So my blood is going to bring a new covenant. Please hear me. His Jewish followers, when they heard this, if they did not take him to be who he said he was, the living son of God, they would have stoned him on the spot. Hear what he's saying? He's stepping into their Jewish holiday, the peak of their their passionate, zealous following of God. He steps in and says, I am the new covenant. Basically saying, I'm God and I can do this thing. Now continue reading. I'll show you another one. Uh, Romans chapter 10, the writer of Ephesians, the same writer, author Paul, he says this. He's a Jew himself. He says, dear brothers and sisters, The longing of my heart and my prayer is to God for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to be saved. So so he's saying they're not. They aren't following God. They're they're distant from him. Verse 2, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but is mistaken, misdirected zeal. I want to pause right there. So you got some religious people. There are a lot of religious people in the world who are passionate for God. Man, they're, they're all in. They're going at this thing, but it's misdirected. Why? For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. They missed it. They're up here building a wall. They're keeping themselves safe and secure on the inside, thinking they're all honky-dory. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. So see what the law has become to them? The law has become to them a way to make them right with God. He says, no, that's not cool. Verse 4, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose of which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. This Christ has accomplished the purpose, probably the better translation is what you're going to find in the ESV, and it reads, Christ is the end of the law. So he started this new thing, he ended this thing. Then Hebrews 8 comes along. The writer says this, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one what? (laughs) He didn't come to upgrade, he came to wipe out. Please hear this. When God speaks of a new covenant, when he picked that cup up, which we're going to celebrate here at the end of this service. When he picked that cup up, he's saying, guys, the old is done. I am making things new. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. I look at it this way. Um, A few weeks ago, my cell phone finally took a dive. I mean, you guys know this thing where you're always resting. You're like, man, we kind of... We almost need these things anymore. It's kind of sad. And so it wasn't answering calls. It wasn't receiving calls. It would freeze up. It would shut itself down. It was just, it was, it was having problems. I replaced the battery and I did everything I knew to do it to to string this thing on, but it was on its last leg. So I walk into the Verizon store to get an upgrade. 
But my upgrade, it's kind of the language I'm going, I'm getting an upgrade, but my upgrade, when I walk in and I, I, I talk to him about my dilemma, about this phone dying, I really can't afford that phone. I mean, I'd love to afford that. So what, what do you have in the, you know, what can we do? How can we work this thing out? So we're talking through other things. We'll finally pick a phone out. And it's so cool how it works now. They just, everything just kind of ports right. Everything's kind of mirrored now. And so I basically walk out the store with a brand new phone. What's true of the old one? It's obsolete. You don't want the thing. It's a piece of junk. Now, my kids can play with it and toy around with it because it still connects to Wi-Fi. You can still play a few games on it, but it's not doing what it was designed to do. So it'll be around a little while longer, but it is soon going to be completely gone. That is what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to add to something, to upgrade it, to make it better. He came to wipe it out and give you something new. Now, when Jesus came, there was a wall. I'm a Gentile. And even if I was a Jew, it says even the Jews were far away from him. So I'm a Gentile. I'm on the outside of this wall. I, I, it's just the covenant wasn't made with me. So God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I could probably just blow this thing over. These things are thing, but I want it for dramatic effect. We'll take a sledgehammer to it, right? God comes in the person of Jesus Christ, and I want you to picture what he is doing. He says, okay, here's the law. You guys have built this system to keep people in and to keep others out. It's kind of how we do human life, kind of what Augie experienced in that movie clip. He's on the outside looking in. And God comes and he says, okay, in the person of Jesus, I'm taking the thing out. There is no more wall. He then walks through the mess. He grabs me and carries me out and says, welcome home. Instead of a wall, we're now going to have a house where we're going to be together and we're going to belong. So as I think about this, the cross of Jesus, Jesus died and moved moved toward me at a point when I was more ailing to him than anyone has ever been to me. I want you to think in your mind right now, the person that you struggle with the most, or maybe the people group, or the kind of person that you might have a prejudice to. I'll be real candid. There's, there's, I'll, be, I'll make it myself. If you own one of these, come up to me afterwards and I'll hug you. I'll just show you I love you. I struggle with big honking trucks. When I pull into a parking lot and there's a truck next to me, you know, I'm in a bug, so I'm down low. And there's this, with the wheels that, you know, that are like this high. And I'm like, looking. I just, I don't know why. I just, I immediately think redneck. I think, you know, I, I just, I just struggle. I've prejudiced, right? I know it. I confess it. I own, I own it. If you drive one, I don't hate you. I promise. I'll give you a hug afterwards. So try and think of the people group that you were distanced from. Maybe you're a Republican, Really, really strong Republican, and you cannot stand the Democrat. The think of the people group. Maybe you're a man and you struggle with women, or you're a woman. You struggle. What is, think of the people group or the person. Maybe it's a person in your life who's really hurt you, and they're distant from you right now. Jesus, when he died, he moved towards me at a point when I was more ailing to him than anyone has ever been to me, ever. He blew the wall down. He demolished it. He walked in and he grabbed me and he said, come on home, Adam. Now, so for me to feel, think, or act with avoidance towards another human being 
I am either saying I deserved Jesus or I'm saying what he did was foolish or even stupid. For me to feel, think, or act by belittling another human being, I am saying I deserve Jesus or what he did was stupid. For me to act with prejudice towards those with big monster trucks, (laughs) I am saying I deserve Jesus or what he did was foolish. He blew the wall apart. He established something new. The cross of Jesus brings peace, brings peace to enemies like nothing else in this world can. You know, bullying's a big deal in schools, and I hear him talk about tolerance all the time. My kids are in school, so I hear it all the time. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Tolerance is huge. It's so important. Amen. Preach it. I have no problem with it. The scriptures would teach it. Persevere with one another. Endure with one another. Bear one another's burdens. That's all tolerance but it doesn't bring peace. Why doesn't it bring peace? Because true peace comes with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. When I walk across the aisle and I embrace you, not for what you are, what you've done, but because of, (laughs) I love, I'm moving. The new covenant, the, the law that the new covenant is built on is love your neighbor as yourself as you've received God's love that's transformed you. Now, what I'd like to do, I want to move this towards communion and wrap it up. And I want to, I met with a team this week. It's a team that meets with me each week, and we talk about the message and kick some things around. I said, guys, I really want to end and really push into some things. Not just leave this for interpretation. It's really push in. So I want to ask you three questions. And this team helped me kind of kick some of this around and gave me some examples. And I want to, I'm not picking any. Some of you say, well, Adam, you're talking. No, I'm not. I'm just talking general. They gave me some things to kick around. Here they are. First question for you. As you think about this, what walls of hostility exist in your life? Be honest. For some of you, men in the room, maybe you had a controlling, dominant, harsh mother. You're a bit skeptical towards all women, especially strong women. And you think women have a role to play, and they need to play that role and that role only. And you've erected a wall. For others of you in this room, you're women, and you've had enough of controlling, authoritative, dominant men, and you've erected a wall, and you've drawn a line. For some of you in this room, you're Democrats. I already talked about this one. Others are Republican. You've erected a wall. For some, it's I'm white, they're Hispanic, they're Puerto Rican, they're black, and a wall has been erected. For others, it's young versus old. You've got a prejudice, and you have maybe you're you're old. I'll let you define what that is. Others of you are young. I'll let you define what that is. That's because of their relative terms. And you don't like their music, the way they dress. Millennials are lazy, I hear the old say. They're words that are throwing darts out at a group, and we're building a wall. My generation works hard. Your generation is lazy. A wall has been erected. For some, it breaks down within the church. we got a Mennonite church, a Pentecostal church, a Baptist church, a Presbyterian church, and you go on down the list. We erect and build walls. Now, I want to say this. As you think about walls, there's absolutely, please hear me, there's nothing wrong with having an affinity towards a certain type of person. Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says, I love, I want to be with Jewish people. He's a Jew himself. 
But he goes so far, and it's shocking when he says this. He says, if I could die and go to hell for all of my kinsmen, I would do it if they would put them all in heaven. He says, I can't do it, though. I mean, so he has an affinity for Jewish people. There's nothing wrong with you wanting to hang with your kind, be with your kind, dress like your kind, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not, don't, don't walk out of here with guilt because you want to hang with people who are like you. That's okay. The problem comes when it interferes with a calling. The Apostle Paul was called to the Gentiles. So he had to go. The problem is when it interferes with our mission. What is our mission as Christians? If you're a Christ follower, what did Jesus commission you to do? Go to all nations. So the problem isn't so much that I hang with my own kind. The problem is to keep me from reaching those that are not like me. So where do you have walls? Next question I ask you is where do you have old covenant ideas smuggled into new covenant communities? Where have you taken the old and said, okay, okay, I know Jesus said he's going to wipe it out, but I still want to build that. I still feel good building boundaries and, and having all that stuff. Well, where are they? For some, it's the Sabbath. When I say Sabbath, they actually mean Sunday, but Sunday really isn't a Sabbath, but I don't know where we've gotten all this idea. But, so you may say, you know what? Businesses cannot be open and run and operate on Sunday, period. Boom, bang, enough said. Scriptures don't say that. It's okay for you to have that view. It's okay to operate your business that way. But when we begin to draw these lines that say all have to work that way, you can't mow, and you watch your neighbor mowing on Sunday, whoa, what a heathen. He's out there mowing his lawn. We probably had a tough week. And I'd suggest, why don't you go mow it with him and help him get done sooner so he can go prop his feet up like you are. We don't think that way, though. We build walls. We bring the old back into the new. For some, it's the way we dress. And I'm not going to pick on those with suits. I'll pick on people that are dressed casual like me. We even begin to build walls. We're going to reach people, so we've got to look like people in today's that aren't, that aren't church. So let, and we begin to build a wall. I think we all got to dress down. No, you don't. You don't have to dress down. You've got to be yourself. We get into Sunday, Sunday church attendance. You know, right now in the United States, the average person that says, I'm a committed follower of Jesus, I'm committed to my local church. Do you know how many times you attend church on average in a month? 1.4 Sundays a month. Now, I've heard pastors stand up and hammer on that point, and I say, you know what? Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to do what we're doing right now in the way that we're doing it. What does the Bible say? Bible says to love one another. And when the Bible teaches us to not forsake the assembling together, like we're doing right now, do you know what it says? Don't forsake the assembling together, but rather consider how you may what? Spur one another on, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. So you got Sunday attendance down, checked it off, good for you. When's the last time you really got in another person's life and let them speak into you and you speak into theirs? We just come and sit in rows and look forward and think, I've got this thing down. Eh, maybe. We begin to form lines where we've got, you know, Petra Church. Well, they wave flags, so that's not cool. Can't go there. We've got LCBC. That's like a rock concert. They've got lasers and lights and fog. I ain't going there. i go to Pine Grove. Nah, that's no good either because they play the organ. I ain't going there either. And we begin to judge and we begin to draw our lines around churches and how they should work. That's why I love what we're doing with Celebrate Recovery. We have blown the walls down. 
Weaverland, Petra, and Bethany, we are all uniquely different churches, but we're focused on one thing, and we'll set our differences aside to bring healing and hope in the midst of addiction, pain, and other habits and hang-ups. So where is it for you? Where have you brought old ideas into the new covenant? Anything I'm doing so God will accept me is old thinking. The new covenant has one law, love your neighbor as yourself, and it is far less complicated. Far less complicated. There were 600 and some odd laws in the, in the old covenant. The new has basically one, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul sums it up in Galatians 5. I'll sum the whole law up in this one command, yet it's far more demanding. Final question I'll ask, and we'll wrap this thing up and go to communion. Where do you struggle to welcome people? Maybe again, like me, I talked about the truck. You know, you walk into a restaurant, and you see a certain table, a certain look, a certain, they got, maybe they're all tatted up and they got piercings and everything else, and you begin to, in your heart, have some imaginary conversation about that table. And you're building a wall. Maybe, maybe it's you're walking down the hall at work or here at church and you see them coming. You see them coming, right? You know, oh no, you're looking around, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? Oh my word, look at that wall, there's a crack in it and you walk right by. Got by that one. Maybe uh, you change tables. I watch this happen a lot as a pastor, it grieves my heart. Um, when I see it happen. So you get into a large gathering room. Maybe it's a fellowship meal like at a church or maybe it's something your work puts on. You all sit around tables, everyone form around tables and I watch a person sit down around a table and some other people kind of sit. Then that person looks across the room and sees the people they really want to be with. And so what do they often do? Stand up, walk over and sit down. What did you just say to the people you were with? Especially when you had to bring a whole other chair to squeeze yourself in over there. I watch it happen. It breaks my heart. I've done it at times, unfortunately. Maybe you're in a group of people and you're hanging out and you're all friends and you all love one another and there's eight or nine or ten of you and before long, two of you are talking deeply about an experience the two of you had. It becomes obvious that no one else in the group had this experience. Have you ever stopped to think what it's communicating to everyone else in the group? Hey, really, we don't include you in our stuff. How do you post and what do you post on social media? It's a big one. <laughs> I think we exclude people a lot in social media as we post things out there. And what I find is we too easily, no matter how you answer these questions, we too easily get off mission and focus on the non-essentials. And that's where unity breaks down in any level. At business, at church, at home, in the family, and husband and wife, between parents and kids, and we focus on the non, we make the non-essentials what we focus on. Let me give you the example, then we're going to pray and go into communion. And I'm not, I know this is a dangerous example, I'll say it right up front, but I'm not stating my position, I'm not going to get political, but I want to talk about it because it's very relevant to where we're at right now. Right now in our country, there's a ton of debate on what subject. I heard all kinds of things there, Awesome. I'm gonna, I heard someone I didn't want even thinking about. You're right, they are. <laughs> Gun control. A huge debate right now. And you know what I realized what I miss? I, I, saw, I saw a video of a dad of one of the kids who stood, stands up and impassionately gives a speech. And what he said, I think, is what we're missing. When you talk to the right and you say, guys, what do you believe in? What do you really want to see happen? 
What they want to see happen is they want to see kids safe. They don't want to see any more lives taken. Now, they think that we need to protect our our constitutional right to bear arms. You come over to this side and you say, what do you really want to see? We don't want to see any more kids lost. They say, well, to do that, we've got to get rid of all all automatic and semi-automatic weapons and maybe more. And the two sides go to war. But what is the essential thing that they should be focusing on? Making sure children stay alive in our public schools. That's the essentials. That's what it's really all about. And both sides, I think, will agree to that, will they not? And when we, can, when we can get that through our head and we can stay focused on that, and that is what, and I don't vilify the other side anymore because we both want the same thing. Now, we're going to step in, and, and unity doesn't mean you can't have passionate, heated debate. It just means that in the midst of that, we're respecting one another because we're locked arms, we're very different people, we think different, we process different, we feel different, but we're all focused on that thing, and we're going to accomplish that thing. And I think we'd find some solutions to our problems. But it's not how we operate. We build walls. We build walls and we separate. And we say, we're in this group, you're in that group, and we're going to go to war with one another. The church is no different. God gave us a mission. He made it pretty clear. There are people in this world who are far from me. Who are far from me. And I knocked a wall down to bring them home. And I want you to be a part of it. And when we as a church body and a church family and Christian people stay focused on that, we're going to have lots of discussion on how it should be done, what the music should sound like, what you should dress, what translation you should use, all kinds of passionate discussion. But we're going to stay unified because we're all focused on that one thing. Verse 18. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and it's the same Holy Spirit of the people who believe in Jesus living in India today, living in Africa, living in Southeast Asia, Australia, Argentina, uh, Ephrata, Lidditz, Denver. Same Holy Spirit. Now, why do we get the Holy Spirit? The same Holy Spirit because of what I have done, because of the work I did, because of the laws I obeyed, because of the walls I erected, because of all. No, what does it say? Because of what Christ has done. What has he done? He spilled his blood to establish a new covenant. And by me putting my faith in that new covenant, in that blood, he makes me new. And I step out and say, grab my hand, let's go do this thing together. And we unify. It forms naturally. So we're going to do communion right now. And communion is going to happen because of that verse we read. I mean, it's where Jesus brought this whole thing in, is in the context of communion. Now, let me talk about what communion is. Communion is not, it's nothing special about the bread, nothing fancy about the cup, nothing. It's just bread and and kind of a silly wafer. I'm not even crazy about the wafer. I mean, some of you complain about it. It It's a kind of funny tasting wafer. It's all it is, just a wafer and some grape juice. But what it is, it's a time for me to remember What Jesus has done for me, communion means to, when I commune with someone, it means I, if you look it up online, it means I exchange thoughts, usually intimately and closely. I'm friends. Jesus says, because of what I have done for you, we are friends. We have been brought home. So that's all we're doing. We're taking this in as a believer in Jesus. So this is for those of you in the room that say, I am a believer in Jesus. Those of you that aren't, I'd say, come on into the family and then partake. But if not, just let it go. For those of you, I want to say something else real quick. 
At times over my journey, I have sat in, in the seats and I've let communion go by because I'm not right in my heart with God. I think back on that and think, that is old covenant thinking. I am sitting there thinking that I've got to get right before I partake. I'm never going to get right until I partake. So honestly, if you are here this morning, you're saying, my goodness, I am so dependent upon Jesus. This is for you to heighten your awareness of just stopping and realizing I am lost. I am broken. I was far from him. I was an alien. I was a stranger. He blew the wall down. He came over and got me and brought me home. And that'll stir in us and get us out there doing the things that he's called us to do naturally and normally. So let me pray for us. The ushers are going to come. We're going to pass them out. Grab your little wafer. Grab your cup. Hold on to it. We'll come back together and, and actually uh, partake of that together. God, thank you so much for Jesus. I pray right now for people as they gather here and we, we uh, just have this moment of silence. Um, God, stir in our hearts. Bring the gospel, the message of Jesus to bear on us in a way that maybe we've never grasped before. Stir our affections. And God, would you push in? As we realize how you've busted a wall down to come get us, God, would you, would you push into the places where we're still building walls, uh, keeping people out, and keeping ourselves out sometimes? God, do work. Whisper in hearts all throughout this room over these coming minutes. And I pray, God, more than anything, our ears are open to hear what you say to each of us individually. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.